0: Good morning, this is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today. A program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing
1: less
0: than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I recently heard a message about the sufficiency of God. As part of that message, the speaker repeatedly asked the question. What can separate you from the love of God? I have not been able to get that question off my mind as I have been considering what might separate us from God and His love. Let me ask you, what can separate you from the love of God? I am going to throw out some possibilities or reasons that people might believe they are separated from the love of God. Those reasons might include the death of a child, a divorce, the death of a spouse, an abusive childhood, a terrible boss, an addiction to drugs or alcohol, an adulterous affair, a diagnosis of a terminal illness, bitterness, an unforgiving spirit, a disaster, or major crisis in your life. And now I want to read to you some verses found in the 8th chapter of Romans written by the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 35 through the end of the chapter. Who then can ever keep Christ's love from us? When we have trouble or calamity, when we are hunted down or destroyed— Is it because He doesn't love us anymore? And if we are hungry, or penniless, or in danger, or threatened with death, has God deserted us? No, for the scriptures tell us that for His sake we must be ready to face death at every moment of the day. We are like sheep awaiting slaughter. But, despite all this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us enough to die for us. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from His love. Death can't and life can't, the angels won't, and all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow or where we are, high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when He died for us. As I think about all the issues that might separate people from the love of God, I realize that we, as individuals, are actually the ones who separate ourselves from God. There is nothing that separates us from His love. So it is only us who, for whatever reason, turn away from God and His love. It may be because of sin, or disappointment, or bitterness, or some great sorrow. The reasons people turn away from God are as numerous as the people who do. I'm sure many of you have heard the saying, if it seems God is no longer with you, guess who moved? What is the size of what you are facing now, and in what spirit are you facing it? If you turn away from God, you have turned away from the only one who truly understands you and what you are going through, because he created you, and he can help you when human help is not available. God's comfort is available to all. Listen to these words from Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you His grace and peace. He is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Now, I don't mean He will come and solve all your problems for you, but His mercy, grace, comfort, and peace are available to you when new issues come up that cause great distress and despair in your life. You have a choice whether to turn to God or not. In 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, we read, We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we can do anything of lasting value by ourselves. Our only power and success come from God. Why do we lose our peace? In Isaiah 53, 6, we read, All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's paths to follow our own. That is certainly one way we lose our peace, by leaving God's path. I was recently teaching the story of the prodigal son to a class of first and second graders. The phrase I was to emphasize over and over with the children was that God loves you no matter what. That is so true. He does love us no matter what. God is love. And how did God show his love for us? Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul found in Romans 5, 8. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. If Christ had waited to come until we were free of sin, He would never have come. And now listen to this most famous verse about God's love from John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Another thing I thought about in considering what can separate us from the love of God is that children born and raised by unbelievers might not even be aware of God, and that is surely a sad thing. They may grow up to be agnostics or atheists. That makes it critical that we who do know about God and His love for everyone should show that love to our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, our co-workers, sales clerks, and so on and on really to everyone we come in contact with. They should know that we believe there is a God and that we are followers of His Son, Jesus, who showed us by His example how we are to love. As a matter of fact, not long before He was crucified, Jesus told His disciples, as recorded in John thirteen thirty four, I am giving a new commandment to you now. Love each other just as much as I love you. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In the world, you will have problems. You will be criticized. You will have pain and sorrow. You will sin. You will suffer. You will be tempted. You will go through deep waters. You will be afflicted by many things. You may even think that God has forgotten you because of your circumstances. But don't be shocked by what goes on. But remember what Jesus said, as recorded in John 16, 33. In the world you will have many trials and sorrows, but cheer up, for I have overcome the world. And since he did overcome the world when God raised him from the dead, we can know that we too can live, even when we die our physical deaths. If there had not been a resurrection for Jesus, we would not and could not have that hope of resurrection for ourselves. But God did raise him from the dead, and that is my hope for today and every day. Now, there are some of you who are in the winter of your lives here on earth. In other words, in the last part of your life. And perhaps you were bitter about something that happened in your life last year or maybe even decades ago. Perhaps as you near the end of your earthly journey, you are seriously thinking about the life you have lived, which has not been too good. In fact, for some of you, it may have been pretty bad. And you were scared as you consider that you might not be good enough to go to heaven. And therefore, you are headed to hell. But here is the good news. None of us are good enough to go to heaven on our own goodness. But those of us who have punched our ticket to heaven, so to speak, have trusted in Jesus Christ, who was good enough, and he is the perfect one for us to trust our eternal salvation to. What can separate us from the love of God? I now want to share with you some true stories from the lives of people who were in terrible circumstances, but they did not let their circumstances separate them from God's love. They knew that their Redeemer lives and that He would take care of them in this life and in the life to come. I first want to read you something that has been recorded by Randy Alcorn in his book, Ninety Days of God's Goodness. And this is what Alcorn has written. That E. Stanley Jones wrote, Don't bear trouble, use it. Take whatever happens, justice and injustice, pleasure and pain, compliment and criticism. Take it up into the purpose of your life and make something out of it. Turn it into testimony. Richard Wordbrand's Tortured for Christ book influenced me profoundly as a young Christian. In Romania, guards tied prisoners to crosses and smeared them with excrement. From a human standpoint, the perpetrators seemed beyond redemption, yet some of the guards who did these unspeakable acts saw the inexplicable love, devotion, and faith of the Christians they tortured. Wordbrand wrote, I have seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet, tortured with red-hot iron pokers, in whose throats spoonfuls of salt had been forced, being kept afterward from water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold, and praying with fervor for the communist. He told of guards coming to Christ while beating Christian prisoners, and then confessing their faith and being imprisoned and tortured themselves. When an African named Joseph heard about Jesus in a roadside conversation, he embraced him as Savior. Filled with excitement and joy, Joseph went door-to-door telling his whole village about Jesus. To his amazement, his neighbors became violent. They beat him with strands of barbed wire and left him to die in the bush. After days of passing in and out of consciousness, Joseph found the strength to get up. He decided he must have left something out of the good news, or surely they would have accepted it too. After rehearsing the message, Joseph limped back to the circle of huts and once more proclaimed Jesus. Again they beat him, reopening his wounds. Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. This time they attacked him even before he opened his mouth. As they flogged him, he spoke to them of Jesus. Before he passed out, he saw some of his female assailants begin to weep. When Joseph awoke, the ones who had so severely beaten him were trying to save his life. While he lay unconscious, the entire village had come to Christ. Romanian pastor Joseph Son, who had endured much in the hands of Romanian torturers, told me, the gospel will never spread without some suffering. And surely this man suffered. I'm going to go to the Christian history book by Sharon and Michael Rustin and read you a couple of things. This first thing I'm going to read to you is about Corrie Ten Boom, and I'm sure many of you have heard of her. She and her family lived in Holland, and they were actually ended up being captured by the Nazis and sent to concentration camps. Her father died in prison 10 days after he was arrested. Corrie and her sister Betsy were transferred to the Ravensbrück death camp, where Betsy later died Christmas Day. The Jews that Corrie had been hiding behind her bookcase were freed and hidden again and ultimately survived the Holocaust. In June of 1945, four months after her release from this death camp at Ravensbrück, Corrie forced herself to write a letter that pained her greatly. It was to the Dutch stranger who had asked for help that day in the shop and whom Cory now realized had betrayed her family to the Nazis. And this is what Corrie said. I heard that most probably you are the one who betrayed me. I went through ten months of concentration camp. My father died and my sister died in prison. The harm you planned was turned into good for me by God. I came nearer to Him. I have prayed for you that the Lord may accept you if you will repent. I have forgiven everything that you did. God will also forgive you everything if you ask Him. Rescuing dozens of Jews in Holland turned out to be the beginning of Cory's life work. God led her first to forgive her betrayer, then sent her out at age 54 with a message to the post-war world. She began in Harlem, where Corey established Christ-centered rehabilitation homes for people of all faiths scarred by the war. Then she went to America, where her story of the Holocaust put a new face on the horror that many had managed to keep at arm's length. In Corrie, they saw their grandmothers, their mothers, themselves. Many searched their hearts. Would they have hidden Jews? Could they have survived concentration camps? Corrie's message was, My survival is not my personal miracle, but the reality of Jesus. Into Corrie's 70s and 80s, God gave her opportunities to speak to thousands of people who turned to him through her message. Her aged hands, scarred from the concentration camp, wrote five best-selling books. Several strokes took away her ability to speak, but her books continued to minister. She died in 1983 at the age of 91. John Dick was getting ready to be put on a scaffold, and he was going to have his head chopped off. And this is what he said when he looked out over the crowd of people that were there to watch this execution. And it was going to be because that he was a believer in Christ, and he was telling the story, and they didn't want his story to be told in this country where he was living. So this is what he said as he looked down at the people. I am come here this day and would not change my lot with the greatest in the world. I lay down my life willingly and cheerfully for Christ and his cause, and I heartily forgive all mine enemies. I forgive all them who gave me my sentence and them who were the chief cause of my taking. And I forgive him who is behind me, in other words, the executioner. I advise you who are the Lord's people to be sincere in the way of godliness, and you who know little or nothing of the power thereof to come to him and trust God. He will not disappoint you. I say, trust in the Lord, and he will support or strengthen you in whatever trouble or affliction you may meet with. I remember when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, and Isaac said, Here is the wood and the fire, but where is the sacrifice? He looked up at the gallows then and out to the crowd, and he continued, Now blessed be the Lord, here is the sacrifice and free will offering. Adieu, farewell, all friends. These people all had an unbelievable faith. I want to read you this last story in closing. In 1921, missionaries David and Svia Flood sent God's leading to take the gospel to a remote area of the Belgian Congo. Because a tribal chief would not let them enter his village, they had contact only with a young boy who sold them food. Siva led the boy to Jesus. Then malaria struck and within days of giving birth to a little girl, Siva died. Stunned and disillusioned, David dug a crude grave where he buried his young wife. David gave his baby girl Anna to another missionary couple, the Ericsons, and he returned to Sweden, embittered, saying God had ruined his life. Soon thereafter, the Ericsons died. Anna again had no one to care for her. Why did this happen? what possible good could have come from it stories like this have led countless people to conclude that even noble sacrifices can have pointless endings but do they really american missionaries brought anna to the united states where she was adopted becoming aggie hurst years later a swedish christian magazine appeared in aggie's mailbox she didn't understand the words but a photo inside shocked her A grave with a white cross marked with the name she recognized, that of her mother, Siva Flood. A college professor translated the article for Aggie. Missionaries came to the Belgian Congo long ago. A white baby was born. The young mother died. One little African boy was led to Christ. The boy grew up and built a school in the village. Gradually, he won his students to Christ. The children led their parents to Christ. Even the tribal chief became a Christian. After decades of bitterness, one day, an old and ill David Flood had a visitor, his daughter, Anna Flood, now Aggie Hurst. She told David the story recounted in the article. She informed her father, Today there are 600 African people serving Christ because you and mother were faithful to God's call in your life. David was stunned. His heart softened. He returned to God. Weeks later, he died. Aggie eventually met that African boy, by then superintendent of a national church in Zaire, formerly the Belgian Congo, now the Democratic Republic of the Congo, an association of 110,000 baptized believers. The great tragedy in the lives of David, Siva, and Anna Flood was undeniably heartbreaking. It appeared utterly cruel and pointless, but in time it yielded a great harvest of joy that will continue for eternity. Sometimes the plan of God is not obvious, and it requires us to trust Him. And He alone is worthy of our trust, because He is the only one that can bear the weight of everything. These people had unbelievable faith, and they had hope because of the love of God. One thief who was crucified on a cross right beside Jesus had lived a bad life. But at the last possible time, he called upon Jesus and trusted that Jesus could save him from hell. And Jesus did save him, and He will save you too. Remember, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. want to read you this poem and a little bit of history about it. This part of it was written by the grandson. This boy writes, In 1932, my grandfather, A.M. Overton, was a pastor of a church in Mississippi with a wife and three small children. His wife was pregnant with their fourth child, but when it came time for delivery, there were complications, and both she and the baby died. During the funeral service, the preacher officiating the service noticed my grandfather writing something on a piece of paper. After the service, the minister asked him about it, and he handed him the paper with the poem he had just written, which he titled, He Maketh No Mistake. I want to read you that poem. My father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad to know he maketh no mistakes. My cherished plans may go astray, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for He doth know the way. Though the night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in Him, He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see, my eyesight's far too dim, but come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to Him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain it all He'll make, Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. From Romans chapter 5, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Thank you for listening.
1: Others way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad I know.